and welcome back to be, uh, War Stories with B-Rex. This is B-Rex. Um, today is October 26th. I was meaning to do an interview yesterday, but I could. You know, I had, we had some technical difficulties, and I had to pick up a shift at the bar that I bartend at. Um, that being said, I'll jump right into this. Um, last week, I was talking about our first patrolling cycle and at this point we had gotten into one week rotation so you did one or you did two weeks of patrolling one week out of the checkpoints and then one week at post it became very clear very quick that that one week out of the checkpoints was definitely our relaxation week um so after we got done patrolling we cycled out there and during that time um second platoon had been a v-bid had hit the tcp so for the rest of the deployment there was an axle shot or a, an axle housing in our little outdoor hangout area that we had that we would use as a bench basically but uh what happened was when the iraqis were out there searching vehicles a dude pulled up with his entire family in the car including like a daughter who was you know a toddler blew himself up, killing his entire family, killed three of the Iraqi army guys. Um, I remember when we got there, there was just like an imprint in the Hescos where I guess one of the Iraqi dudes was just smushed into it almost like a cartoon. Um, so that happened. Um, another thing that I'd like to point out that I just remembered is when we got there, and if you pull up Google Earth, and I'll try to make put this on the uh, YouTube channel, is there was this big bridge, this big, we called it a wadi, it was kind of like a canyon, but it was a big bridge that went from Hoklania to Bonnie, Bonnie D, and um, we noticed that any time we crossed that bridge, the likelihood that we'd be ambushed really hard was high. Um, and that's where Odin was hit. That's where a lot of people were hit up in that north side of, uh, north side of the bridge. And one thing that we, I didn't know until a little bit later, you know, about a month in or so, was when we relieved 3-3, their squad leaders basically said, oh, we just crossed the bridge, hide in one of those buildings right there at the base of the bridge, and then we send up fake pause reps. So they hadn't actually been patrolling that area at all. And so that meant that there's this huge gap between Echo Company and Golf Company. I can't remember which companies it was from 3-3, but for us, Echo Company was to the north of us. And that whole area was just full of IEDs, full of insurgents, full of snipers, full of everything. So every time we went across that bridge, we got hit pretty much. Um, nothing of note happened that cycle of uh, out of the checkpoints besides noticing that a V-bit had gone off and seeing the kind of damage that was done. Um, we cycled back to post. And that post, the base got attacked a couple times when I was on post. And that usually consists, also this post, I switched to post 7. 
which was kind of off by itself. You had to walk through like three abandoned buildings and then up on top of this abandoned house and you're out there all by yourself. And so no one wanted to stand it. Um, so I switched with Hillsdorf and I took that shift or that, that post. <clears throat> it was guarding an entranceway. It was guarding the South ECP, which was right outside the South ECP is where Riley and Kreiser were hit by that IED. And I kind of had a view down an alleyway but it was also, there's a ton of dead space. And when I say dead space, what that means in military terms is you can't see it. You can't shoot into it or see what's going on in that space. So if there's a wall right in front of you, everything on the other side of that wall is dead space. Or if there's a hill in front of you, everything on the other side of that hill is dead space. So you can cover that. If you know someone's over there, you can cover it with mortars or with uh, grenade launchers, but you can't shoot at it directly. Well, about 10 feet in front of my post, um, post 7, was a wall, and then there was a, build, a house, um, like a two-story house, 10 feet past that wall, and all of those houses were abandoned. And anybody who's been to the Middle East, or even I'd say parts of Europe, like the older parts of Europe, the cities don't really have any planning, so everything's sort of built on top of each other. The geometry is really complex. There's a lot of uh, weird angles and stuff. And so what they would do is they would chuck grenades from that building that was about 20, 30 feet in front of my post. They would chuck grenades down at post 6 and at post 7, and, and a couple guys had been wounded at that point. Kim almost got killed because one like blew up right in front of his bulletproof glass. Um, so the base, yeah, standing fob security was one of the more exciting times, and it definitely wasn't the most relaxing, as I've explained before. But you're also getting in these firefights where they'd hit you with everything. They all out coordinated. They'd hit you from multiple sides of the base with mortars, RPGs, machine guns, and we'd fire back. Um, one of the lame things I guess you could say is post seven never really got shot at. The only things that ever happened were unrelated to those big attacks. There'd be a grenade attack on post seven. That'd be about it. But when the base was getting attacked for, you know, 10, 20 minutes, the other, the, the, the posts near that bridge, looking over that bridge would basically be getting, getting some, they'd be shooting a lot of rounds in return fire. Um, so post keeps going, uh, dudes from first and second platoon start being wounded a lot from hand grenades, not near the base. And so if you headed out of the base, basically due east towards where we had spooked that dude that was putting in an ID, about halfway there was the bazaar. And the bazaar was actually like just what you'd picture. I mean, it was a big uh, Arabic bazaar. So it looks like a bunch of like, kind of looked like a storage unit place, like a storage complex. And um, you would, uh, you'd patrol down and you'd actually be able to buy some food and stuff from some of the bazaars. And it was a bustling place. There'd always be tons of people out. Uh, selling stuff, different things, everything you could think of, that that's where it was sold in Hakonia. Because when you left the bazaar, there weren't really any stores or anything th like spread out throughout the city. 
there was a couple, like the Internet Cafe, which I'll talk about at some point, but everything else was just houses. Um, and so what would always happen is when Marines were patrolling through that bazaar, all of a sudden you'd see this kid on a motorcycle about 10 years old and it, I'm not talking about like a mini bike or a dirt bike I'm talking about a motorcycle he'd come he'd come cruising around and, t- and like saying something to all the people and then you it was about 15 seconds 30 seconds and the entire bazaar was empty like the wild west and you would just know that it was about to go down and so that could be an ambush but in that particular area, it was also where all the tallest buildings were. So there were a lot of three, four story buildings and they would just drop grenades and down either off the buildings or even down the slope because the bazaar was pretty level. But then if you went perpendicular to the road that the bazaar was, the, the city just sloped up at a crazy angle. And so they could really get some range on their grenades and throw them down at you. And so I think that's when uh, Hurley was hit in the face, I think. I could be wrong, but a lot of guys were getting wounded, like like small wounds where they could stay uh, in Hakonia with us in that area, just grenades all the time. So when it became our time to patrol again, would they basically say, your mission is to go down to the bazaar and patrol around until you get attacked with grenades. And so we're down there. And we hadn't been hit with grenades yet. Um, and we, uh, w- as we're moving around, we see that we were told that to look out for a dude in a motorcycle or on a motorcycle. We see the kid and saying like, just like everybody said, all of a sudden the entire bizarre area was empty and we kind of got ready like, okay. And I remember looking across and, and Montana was, was walking underneath the overhang of like an outdoor seating area for a restaurant. And we heard what we thought was a gunshot. So we were all like sniper, everybody was scattering. Everybody was freaking out. And I look over and Montana is jogging. He's like trotting, like he's not running. He's not sprinting. I wouldn't even say he's jogging. He's like shuffling awkwardly and slowly out from underneath that overhang and I don't know what's going on and then suddenly there's just an explosion underneath that overhang sending like like under the chairs like sending the chairs and tables kind of moving around didn't really send them flying it's not like a movie but all of a sudden there's an explosion and we all kind of were like what and we're like looking we're trying to figure out where it came from we're pretty sure it came from the medical building which was like three or four stories tall but the way the city is, that person's gone. We have no idea where they are. And then people start coming back out <laughs> and everybody's back to normal. And it's like nothing happened. And we all had a pretty good laugh just because it didn't seem like Montana was concerned at all. No one knew what was happening until there was an explosion. Um, another thing that happened during that patrol cycle is we got in our first firefight, out, not at the base. And so what happened with that was we had eight, like part of H&S platoon, which H&S stands for headquarters and support. So that's like the CO's part of H&S and the gunny who's in charge of supplies and the first sergeant who's in charge of getting wounded out. That's all H&S platoon. And then you also have an H&S company for the battalion. 
Um, but we had some small teams, so it was about four Marines per, like, a squad of Iraqi army who stayed out at uh, K3, but they sometimes they would do patrols. And so they were patrolling north of the bridge, and along the river was a uh, date grove. So basically we called it the palm groves because they are palm trees pretty much. They look like palm trees. I'm not a botanist, so I don't know exactly what species they were. They might have been fig trees. I don't know. They were moving up along the river, and they got ambushed from across the river. So they got ambushed from Barwana, which was Fox Company's AO. And so they loaded us up on trucks to go support them because they were in constant firefight. And so we go cruising up over the bridge up north, and then there's a road because basically the main drag goes or, uh, parallel to the river. So we head up north, and then we turn right perpendicular, and we start heading towards the river. And there's some houses out in those palm trees. And I remember a family come rolling up with a white flag out of their out of their car, like trying to go the other way, you know, trying to get away from it. And the car was just riddled with bullet holes. And there's like a dude driving with his wife and his kids, like, and we're like, get out of here, like, go get get the fuck out of here, go ahead. And so as we keep moving forward, the fire, the intensity of the fire just keeps getting more and more and more. And I remember there being like palm fronds falling down on us and like RPGs hitting the trees and blowing up. And we stop and I guess we're, I, I thought that we might be close to the river. So I like poked my head over the side and um, I look and right as I look, it's a Marines getting dra dragged by two Iraqi army soldiers and it's my roommate from from the from the barracks back in Hawaii, uh, and they pull they pull him in, and uh, he he's like freaking out. He's like pale as a ghost, and he lifts up his his camis and he's got like a tiny, probably like two inch gash in his leg where the bullet had basically scraped like right above his knee, and I mean he needed a couple stitches, but he. Uh, he was, he, once he realized it wasn't so bad, he felt kind of, felt kind of uh, silly because he was, he thought he was like hurt. I mean, I, I haven't been shot, so I have no idea what it feels like. It probably felt like he got hit right in the leg. Um, so he continued just shooting and we're shooting heavy, heavy stuff into the other city and they're shooting back. So we're shooting 50 cal and Mark 19. And as we're shooting, uh, my friend Dan Barry was on the 50 cal right next to the truck on a Humvee and he's shooting the 50 cal and he, he stops and he's like, I'm like 50 cent. And he yells that out. And then right as he yells it, three rounds come in, two of them hit the top of the Humvee, like the turret part. And then the third one hits him in the shoulder. So we drag him into the truck. We start working on him and same thing. He's like, white as a ghost. And then realizes that it's not so bad. So what happened with him was the round hit the sappy plate, the top corner of the sappy plate, and got stuck in the Kevlar lining of his flak jacket. And it basically just like ripped the skin off. Didn't go any deeper than the skin, but it just kind of like, like tugged on the skin hard enough to like rip it. It's a really w weird looking wound. It's hard to explain. But he was, he basically we put a bandage on it and he's like, all right, I'll get back on the 50 cal. So he got back on the 50 cal and started shooting back.
Well, basically, somebody decides that we need to set up more of a position, because right now we're all just stacked up right on the water, and no one's watching our ass. So they send the truck that I'm in with my squad back out to the main road to set up security at that intersection. And we basically there's there's a there's some more shops with garage door type openings and there's one that's open so we basically just moved the squad into there and we had the truck in the road right in front of us looking down the road and we had a person looking down or another vehicle looking to to the north so we were looking to the south and other vehicles looking to the north and we had security and we're all sitting inside this garage and price i think his name was he's like a really funny dude he um he was the vehicle commander for that seven ton i think he was this maybe the section leader for that section or at least the lead vic he was the vehicle commander for the lead vic and my squad leader mcdonald and him he are talking and inside the small gap between the truck and the front of our like garage that we're in all of a sudden rounds start coming in and they're pinging off of the seven ton and they're pinging off the ground and mcdonald in like one movement jumps and closes the door and shotgun which it's not his spot he's our squad leader and so price i'm just gonna call him price he he comes running and the doors shut and he's the rounds are hitting all around him and he's like god damn it mcdonald what the fuck and he like he runs and he dives and he crawls in between the tires of the seven ton as rounds are pinging all over the place and then the dude and then the the 240 on top of the truck starts opening up well, sorry about that. My uh, buddy Shane came over. We're about to go watch Monday Night Football. I thought I had a little bit more time to finish this up. So he's just going to chill, drink some vodka, and uh, I'm going to finish this up. Um, hopefully he doesn't distract me too much. Um, we So we finished that patrol where we were out on the river. We came back to the base. We went on another foot mounted patrol the day after, and our mission was the same uh, as the one where Montana almost got killed, where we were sent out to draw hand grenades and hopefully kill or capture the people that threw the grenades at us. And so we're heading into the bazaar region, and this time it was even quicker than the first time. As soon as we neared the bazaar, we saw the kid on the motorcycle. And we were like, oh, here it goes. And this time was kind of fucked up because everybody went inside. But here's a little side tangent. There's a lot of people in Iraq that have um, birth defects. I'm assuming it's because they're all basically inbred. And they also don't have the best medical stuff and the best uh, hygiene and the best food. So you have a lot of people with Down syndrome. You have a lot of people... Um, with dwarfism, so there's there's lots of midgets out there, and when everybody disappeared off the street, they just left this kid with Down syndrome out there, like they just didn't care if he got killed, and that was a pretty common theme um, throughout that throughout Iraq and uh, Haklandia and Haditha. So, just a side note. So we continue walking in, and 
my squad leader McDonald looks at me and he's like, hey, send up a pause rep because we're about to take contact. So I reach in my pocket and I grab the GPS and I had, so I had to let my rifle just hang on my sling and I'm looking up this alleyway and I'm trying to send it as quick as I can. And I'm, I'm like mid sentence talking on the radio, you know, golf main, golf main, standby for pause rep. And then I'm about to read off the, the GPS and I'm looking and this guy pokes his head around a corner about a block away, which when I say a block, it's not like an American block, maybe 30 yards away and uphill from us. And he's, he looks right. We make eye contact. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And then I see him kind of, and he's on the ground. He's not up on a building or anything, but I see him kind of doing stuff with his hands, weird motion near his chest that I don't know what he's doing. And then he like kind of pushes his hand forward towards me. It's not like a throw, not like a baseball throw. And so I'm like sitting there with the radio in one ear, GPS in the other ear or other hand, just looking and I don't see the grenade, but I see the fuse pop because the way a grenade works is the spoon, you hold the spoon closed, you pull the pin out. When you let go, the spoon is spring loaded and it actually dents a primer just like a bullet. So there's like a pop. And that was that sniper, what we thought was a sniper pop when Montana almost got killed. But that happened like midway in the air towards me. So he threw it right at me. So I drop the radio which is on a you know there's a cord to it so it doesn't go anywhere and i grab my rifle and i just sprint to the nearest cover and what i didn't know is that there was another dude on the other side of the street who also threw one so there's like one explosion probably about i don't know 10 feet away from me and then there's a second explosion right as i'm going around the corner and that one hurt really bad it hurt my ears because i i'm guessing that it was the the shockwave and sound coming off of the corner of the building so i get around the corner everyone's like oh, I, you know trying to figure out what the hell's up i started yelling though i saw him i saw him i saw where it came from and mcdonald's like where and so i just start i aim and i just start shooting in the direction i'm like right there shooting and then we chase him or we start moving up the hill and this is where paulus our point man who was a stud pt freak i think he played like junior hockey down in florida somewhere he takes off up the hill and a couple guys follow him i don't go so that i can send up pause rep let him know that we're in a we're troops in contact we're in a tick and as they're chasing these guys up the hill because i guess i got eyes on them they run up this stairwell off the road so kind of in a compound I don't know how to explain this, but it's basically just a tight stairway that goes up to another level of street and a grenade comes down the stairs and everyone hits the deck and the fuse pops to explode, but all it does is it just breaks open and the grenade was just had no explosives inside it and everybody was like, oh, and so we were able to capture that and it was like a it said like made in Egypt on it. They had writing on where it came from. It was a factory made hand grenade from Egypt. Um, and then, so we were able to collect that for evidence. And then we returned back to the base. We go out again on the same mission. And this time we're, we're walking and 
there's actually nobody, nobody like leaves the street this time, so we felt pretty safe. Well, I see the guy again, the dude that almost killed me with a grenade. It's him. I recognize him. We make eye contact. He sees me and he gets all nervous and like awkward. And I'm like, that's the dude. That's a dude. So I raise my rifle. And I'm like, can I fucking shoot him? And McDonald's like, no, let's follow him, which I was pissed about. But in hindsight, maybe it was a good idea or it was a good idea. So I almost shoot him. I'm not allowed to. And we follow him and he's awkwardly like walking away and he's, he's not listening to any of our commands to come here. We're yelling in Arabic, trying to get him to stop, trying to get him to come here. He goes into a house, we follow him into the house and he sits down like at dinner with his family and acts like he wasn't the guy that we just saw outside. And we're like, you come here. So we grab him and in, in this house, there was a normal family, dad, mom, kids. This guy was like a teenager, maybe early 20s. And then there was this other old dude there. And the old dude was sitting there and he had a Mercedes Benz like tote bag, like kind of like a hygiene bag. If you're going to go on a trip, you bring your toothbrush and everything in like a bag. He had that, but it was just full of passports. So there was like a Syrian passport, Egyptian passport, Iraqi passport, and they're all for him. And we were like, well, that's shady as hell. It's obvious that this dude's a bad guy. So we start the processing, which is where I think the reason why we had a tough time for a while is because we're so formal. Like, we can't just grab the guy and, like, drag him to the base or grab him and throw him in a truck. It's like, we've got to send it up to hire. When we, we send up this dude's name, it goes away, and they come back like, oh, no, he's clean. So leave him alone. We're like, okay. So we return to base with our the kid that we captured. And as soon as we, like, get to the debrief uh, briefing room, they're like, hire just called, that dude's on the wanted list. Like, go get him. And we're like, fuck. So they load us up in trucks. We drive down there as fast as we can. At this point, the sun's going down. And we get out, and... Stinson and I are like pissed. So we kind of, we're trying to find this guy. So we sort of peel off from the rest of the squad and we just start moving around really quickly through the city. And we come around to this sort of uh, like a convenience store slash like snack bar type thing. But it has this sort of uh, amphitheater, kind of concrete amphitheater type thing. And it's just full of like 20 to 30 military age males. And the old dude that we had earlier is sitting like in the middle of them, just looking at us smugly. And so Stimson just runs up and just punches the dude in the face. We grab him. We, and this is all, I mean, we were probably outside the wire for five, 10 minutes. We like cruised up, flew up, got out. We ran off. We saw him. Stimson punches him. We drag him to the truck. We throw him in the truck. We get back to base. And it's like, Oh, good job. Everybody's stoked. Um, we get some kudos and then we, uh, we bed down, get up. So now we're switching over from October to November and myself and Hillsdorf are getting promoted on November 1st to Lance Corporal. And we do our promotion ceremony, which there's probably, I don't know, 20 of us. 
and we're in the COC, we get it, and, you know, it's not like a full-on promotion ceremony where there's people watching, you're just kind of like in the COC with like a few people watching. As soon as we get done with that, our platoon sergeant, the Sandman, and Lieutenant Jefferson say, you two come here to Hillsdorf and I, and they're like, hey, you guys have been selected to go on a special mission. We're kind of like, well, what do you mean? And they say, well, you're, you're, you know, load up on, load up on everything you need to cross the Syrian border to find these Iraqi policemen and bring them back. So we look at each other like, what? And we basically ask why we were selected. And they say, well, you two are doing a really good job. You also both just got promoted. So you're the two that are selected to go because our company has to send two people our platoon has had the least amount of casualties so far, so you two are selected. And that's a whole nother story, and I think that's a good place to stop. So thank you for listening. Make sure you share, like, subscribe, and have a good day.